You are listening to Olympia on NetNet Radio. We talk a lot about how vast the devastation the Olympic grift brings to cities truly is. But in the case of Los Angeles and the scam that is the LA84 Foundation, you can trace exactly where the Olympics start to devastate the communities they claim to serve. Let's back up a little to 2008 when the market collapses and Wall Street comes along and gobbles up neighborhoods in record numbers thanks largely to Obama-era policies that allowed capital to swoop in unchecked. One of the biggest buyers was the Blackstone Group, an American alternative investment management company based out of New York City that's worth over $545 billion, with a B, with investments in just about every corner of American commerce. Blackstone is one of the biggest engines of U.S. capital, and its real estate holdings drive up market values on every block they own. Ten years later, those investments in entire blocks of cities across the U.S. have increased significantly in value, and these shadowy financial firms are now making record profits with the sales of these properties, further entrenching gentrification where corporate vultures can swoop into historical neighborhoods and displace entire communities. Through those same years, we've seen private home ownership crumble and slip back to 1990s-level numbers. With no national rent control of any kind, rents soar every year, despite inflation and wage stagnation. Millions of Americans are spending over half their monthly income on rent, driving them deeper into debt and slurping their earnings into the pockets of corporate landlords like Blackstone and all the other rats that emulate Blackstone's awful corporate landlording. A new study released by a group named SAGE, Strategic Actions for a Just Economy, estimates that as much as two-thirds of all rental properties in Los Angeles are managed by corporate landlords, whether they are LLCs that encourage the wealthiest members of a community to buy undervalued properties in neighborhoods and gentrify them, or giants of capital like Blackstone, that work to break these neighborhoods apart in the name of profit. Once you couple these efforts with a severe lack of new public housing being built, you can start to imagine exactly how it spells disaster for LA citizens. But what does all this have to do with the Great Olympic Grift? Or the LA84 Foundation, with its mission to continue the benevolent spirit of the 84 Los Angeles Games through the funding of youth sports programs across the city? The LA84 Foundation's original seed money, the $94 million left as a budgetary surplus from the corporate sponsorships of the 84 Olympics, is invested in a diverse portfolio of companies and corporate interests. Chief among them, Blackstone. That's right. Despite their commitment to improving the lives of children in LA's neighborhoods with the power of sport, the LA84 Foundation gentrifies these communities in the name of business for the sake of profit. Like a swollen tick, the LA84 sits in its big, tacky million-dollar mansion off of West Adams Boulevard and drains capital from the communities it promises to help, with a few extra soccer balls and uniforms every other year. The 1984 Olympics morphed the LAPD into a massive operation that detained, killed, and harassed communities of color in a bevy of sinister new ways. And by continuing to invest in groups like Blackstone, whose sole financial interest in places in LA is in driving up the price of their properties, which invites more police to protect and defend them, they abandon any idea of serving LA 
its children and their parents, laying bare the idea that the modern Olympic Games are solely to the benefit of capitalists and the ultra-rich. And now a word from the official terrorists of the 1984 Olympics. Job and shove it! Cool. 
of a bad situation.
And some of your friends are asking you questions. Aren't those freeways congested? Can you find your way around? Will you find a plan about the smog? Like crowded? What about security? How safe is Los Angeles? LA is also a pioneer in high technology, aerospace, and medical research. And it's home to practically every ethnic and cultural group known to man. LA is a trendsetter in fads and style. Everyone, no matter how different, has the right to live and express themselves in LA's warm California sunshine. If it's a new dance, a new sport, or a combination of the two, LA is the place to try it out. Especially in the beachfront community known as Venice. They come here to see and be seen. Their lifestyles may be worlds apart, and they may be from many places. So now you say to yourself, good, I'm going to experience a city that is just as exciting as the Olympics itself. Two shows for the price of one. But you ask, do the people of Los Angeles know how to put on an open stands ready for the 1984 games? As do other existing sites or venues, as they are called. Los Angeles is a mecca for sportsmen. Most facilities already exist in Los Angeles has a good number of first-class luxury hotels and many more modest ones. In total, there are 85,000 hotel rooms in the city and thousands of step retention of lawbreakers. During the Olympics, these helicopters will observe ground movement in the estimation of 10 prominent artists between neurons on the freeway walls and side possible to taste the cuisine of every nation and culture in the world. Your appetite can be satisfied in any price range. French cuisine to fast food. One, two, three, four. One of the major sponsors of the Olympics is the Transamerica Corporation. Bearing the Olympic torch from Greece lights the flame that will start the 84 games. We hope you'll be here with us to celebrate. You are listening to An Olympia on NetNet Radio. This is a show hosted by No Olympics LA, a coalition of human rights organizations fighting against the 2028 Los Angeles Olympic bid. You can find us on social media at No Olympics LA and check out our website at noolympicsla.com. We recorded a podcast series called Rings of Hell in 2018 with our friends at Knock.LA, dedicated to demystifying the Olympic group. Today we'll be playing episode 9, The Youth Sports Swindle. We debunk the feel-good fuzzies of the LA84 Foundation, often perceived as a benign, altruistic youth sports nonprofit, but which is, after some serious scrutiny, ultimately revealed as an unaccountable nonprofit 
invested in the speculative real estate industry and who merely claim to promote social justice and the empowerment of marginalized communities. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Once we make our way through these Rings of Hell episodes, we'll go on weekly journeys to various Olympic host cities and countries to explore the real cultural impacts of the games with interviews, music, art, and more. We're hard at work putting these exclusive episodes together, so stick around because we'll start airing those next month here on NetNet Radio. But first, enjoy episode 9 of Rings of Hell, the youth sports swindle. This is Rings of Hell, a Olympics LA and Knock LA production, examining the history, impact, and possible future of the Olympic Games in Los Angeles. If you ask, if you would go up to a random random Angelino right now, especially one that has a park where they have like an LA84 branding on it somewhere in the park, which is a lot of them at this point, and you ask them if the LA84 Foundation was a public or a private institution, I would bet my shirt that most people would say that they think it's a public institution. And I think the foundation intentionally blurs that line. And we are all kind of the worst for that. Episode 9, The Youth Sports Swindle. How the LA84 Foundation undermines social justice. So welcome to episode nine of Rings of Hell. It's about youth sports and the LA84 Foundation. We're gonna be talking about if the 84 Foundation actually serves the needs of the community and why they're saying that this year's summit is on activist athletes and social justice when it seems to us that they have no interest in either of those. Uh, I'm Matthew Taylor. I'm Johnny Coleman. I'm Rachel Reyes. And all three of us are part of No Olympics LA. Johnny is chair, I'm coordinator, and uh, Rachel is communications liaison. And uh, Rachel is also on the steering committee of DSALA, and Johnny and I are members. So Johnny, if you could tell us uh, what the LA84 Foundation is and kind of how it came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in a previous episode, we kind of dug deep into this, but if you missed that, um, basically what the, what the LA84 Foundation is, it's a, a nonprofit that um, emerged out of the uh, uh, the to to deal with the surplus of money that came from the 1984 LA Olympics, which is you know the, that's always going to be the first thing that um, the LA uh, Olympic boosters are going to be talking about is the fact that the LA 84 Foundation made money. Yeah, it, they kind of miraculously, and we kind of got into why, but like there's, there were a lot of um, reasons why they ended up with a little bit of extra money. Um, and instead of that money going back to uh, the city, they decided to form a, a nonprofit to house this money to um, kind of create a new institution in the city that can, you know, as we'll get into, probably serve a lot of different purposes um, for s certain individuals and certain other entities. Um, but basically, you know, if we take them on their word for it, at their word for it, the premise of it is, is that this is... Um, a nonprofit that's supposed to go into communities um, of color of need, um, or just general and just general LA communities, and improve the park and um, infrastructure around parks and youth sports, and um, kind of create um, and improve LA's um, outdoor. I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining it, explaining it that well, but it's kind of to kind of. Um, uh, 
Yeah, revitalize these communities, maybe. Um, kind of, um, you know, LA's at least now, I think, in the like ranked like number 70 something in as far as like the state of our parks. At least, uh, I think I looked that up last year. Um, so we do have a pretty pitiful park system, even though we have a lot of parks. Um, uh, and it, it was also kind of going to be a place where after school programs, summer programs, and other sort of things that could gestate, um, and that are supposed to be for the community good. Um, but, you know, obviously I think we, we have a lot of criticisms of that and um, don't necessarily take them on their word. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth um, talking quickly about how the 1984 Olympics came to be because there are some unprecedented and historically significant elements that kind of informed um, how the LA84 Foundation continues to run. Uh, as we referenced in earlier episodes, Peter Ubaroth was this executive who took the lead in the Los Angeles Olympic Organizing Committee. And... Um, that was the first time in Olympic history that a private group rather than the city itself had organized the Olympics. Uh, our friend Jules Boykoff has a lot about this in his book Power Games, if you'd like to check that out. Um, but all of this kind of came in the context, the broader context of Reaganism, private enterprise and the free market kind of trying to prove its superiority and, uh, and the, the heyday of neoliberalism. And uh, this, these Olympics were kind of a distillation of that. They wanted to, quote, demonstrate the validity of the American free enterprise system. <laughs> and this kind of uh, sets up and dictates the entire logic and ideology behind the foundation, these public-private partnerships, which means that um, the public goes unacknowledged and it's kind of a stepping stone for uh, private capital's own ascendance. Uh, and they, they used 40% of the $215 million in profit, which was very significant, uh, to go to what was initially the Amateur Athletic Foundation of Los Angeles, now known as the 84 Foundation. I mean, I just think it's like, I think when we talk about public and private partnerships, we need to be really clear that the public part is irrelevant, like because the, the public has no say in how this like millions and millions of dollars is spent. And I just think like I would like to make that very clear. Like it's called the, you know, the L.A. 84 Foundation, but like the city has no input in this money. No, you know, the communities that this money is spent in has no say in it. So I think that really needs to be made very clear. Right. You know, as you know, and this isn't something I think we specifically ask because, um, you know, I think there were higher priority questions in a lot of our polling and surveys that we've done. But um, I think a lot of if you ask, if you would go up to a random an random Angelino right now, especially one that has a park where they have like an LA84 branding on it somewhere in the park, which is a lot of them at this point, and you ask them if the LA84 Foundation was a public or a private institution, I would bet my shirt that most people would say that they think it's a public institution, and I think the foundation intentionally blurs that line. And we are all kind of the worse for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the when when LA was bidding for uh, the 2024 games and then 2028 for you know about a week when it became clear that was all we could get, um, they used uh, youth sports as not only a selling point but kind of a diversion tactic for many criticisms. Um, we saw Garcetti at multiple news conferences referring youth sport referencing youth sports. Um, 
He even very publicly asked for the IOC to fund youth sports programs in every zip code in L.A., and that, that was kind of a, a tactic for showing that to him there's still this benefit of access to sports uh, that that uh, makes bringing the Olympics here overall a good thing. Right, yeah, and I think it gives him that quote-unquote like kind of um, – the reason for why do we need it because obviously around last summer when it was kind of ramping up like people were looking at the skyrocketing homeless numbers and being like do we really need this and it was easy you know the optics of it for any kind of like democratic mayor or any mayor that's going to kind of do do a program like this um the optics of it are obviously very clean and good you're you're a white privileged man um uh as our mayor who surrounds himself with poor children of color. Like, that looks good. That, like, looks good for him. It's good for the brand. It's good for the Olympic brand. Um, you know, we've talked about other issues in, in, in earlier episodes about other things that happen in youth sports, um, all the kind of problems and, uh, you know, the, the rampant sexual abuse and all these other things. Um, so that was also kind of to have the, both of those narratives kind of emerging at the same time was kind of... Uh, bizarre, and, um, and you no know, one was kind of putting those things together. Where you're like, how can you be putting pushing you sports so hard when um, all these stories are coming out about all these kids getting abused and molested, etc., et um, physically, emotionally, sexually, uh, in these exact same youth sports programs? And now you want to open the door and invite more of them in. So that 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 was really hard to swallow. And knowing the press kind of that I saw, which we monitored pretty pretty tightly, uh, was even trying to make those uh, links linkages happen. Um, so that was kind of disappointing. And let them in with no democratic input either. We we cannot forget that. Is right. that you know our mayor and the whole bid committee is allowing the potential for that kind of abuse in our city um, without our input and I can guarantee you that no one would have voted for that no one would have wanted that especially as you referenced right the housing crisis is getting worse it was bad last year it's still bad this year it will be bad in the next 10 years and so to have had that decision made unilaterally without us is incredibly frustrating yeah and the first time this came really strongly onto our radar was last summer when garcetti was in lausanne uh, where the ioc is headquartered <laughs> and um taking one of those one of those sorry to interrupt but taking one of those amazing vacations he was gone one and every, every three days last year and even though the travel might have been covered by the bid committee, he brings LAPD with him, and we don't know how many millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent on that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, that's, that's, that's great. And, <laughs> but yeah, so um, he's on vacation. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's still gunning for LA 2024 at this point. And um, a German journalist, uh, the, the only one there, it seems, who was willing to ask an actual hard question, asked Garcetti about uh, the clear association of gentrification and displacement that results from the Olympics. And Garcetti was clearly caught off guard. Um, so he kind of fumbled his way through this story of Kalen Moore. And Kalen Moore's uh, a young man from Compton who grew up in a very poor family uh, in really difficult circumstances. Garcetti kind of took some narrative liberties to go off about his abusive and eventually incarcerated father. Um, but it, it was certainly a tough life. Um, and unlike most who were born into these kinds of conditions, Moore did find a way out. And uh, it is it is very impressive. He's received a Rhodes Scholarship and he plays on a safety as T. CU's football team, though if you asked Garcetti uh, on that day, he apparently plays as a quarterback. Mm -hmm. But to be fair to Garcetti, uh, definitions aren't his strongest suit. He he doesn't really know what a sanctuary city is still. <laughs> yeah, um, and, he also to, and he also pretends he knows
knows and cares more about sports than he actually does. Right. Like, because he knows it's good. It's a populist kind of thing to tap into. But he couldn't <laughs> tell you the difference between a cornerback and a quarterback. Yeah. If you had a gun to say. And, and so certainly, um, again, none of this is to discount Kalen Moore's skill and success and perseverance. That's all, that's all great. Um, but Garcetti attributed all of this to the 1984 Olympics, uh, saying, drawing the connection that youth sports programs that received funding from the LA 84 Foundation were essentially Moore's saving grace. And we have a couple really, uh, really great quotes here. He claimed that, and I quote, the difference between whether Moore graduated or not may be Wound up in prison or not was that sports found him. Garcetti continued trying to rebut the criticisms of the Olympics, and he said, and I quote, so if we want to address issues of gentrification, if we want to address issues of social cohesion, if we want to address homelessness, it's the legacy that we want to have of universal access to sports. That's how we combat poverty. That's how we address, you know, the gentrification. That's how we address those issues that today all cities face. There's so yeah. much going on a, in that paragraph. In I mean, where do you want to start? Do you want to? I mean, I want to start with the um, the belief that the there are two avenues for people of color, right? And I think, especially when we're talking about LA and the avenues of sports, we're talking about black black kids. We're talking about brown kids, and I think that like you have two options in Garcetti's mind. You can go to prison, which is why we keep building prisons, or you can, you know develop some kind of super talent and be an Olympic athlete and get out of your inevitable future that way. And like that really bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was that. I mean, uh, there's that old biggie quote. It's like either you're slanging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. And that's like the bad dichotomy that like the white mainstream kind of gives you. It's like either, you, you know, you're screwed and you're, you're, you're sucked up into the system or you, there's like an element of bootstrapping in there too. I think it's like, in, or if, and if you, or if you're like a once in a generation talent, like the Williams sisters who are also from Compton and who are also playing on these, you know, tennis courts. That you know, if it wasn't for the '84 Olympics, then then what would happen to them too? Yeah. And it's also, and it's also, and it's also implied in there is that this dichotomy is okay, kind of, or like yeah. is that is that that we've been letting that happen anyway, and like you have to be lucky, like the odds of. The, the odds of uh, a person playing in the NFL because there's only a couple hundred um, slots there is so, 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 so low that, like, even if you do get to where Kalen Moore's at, and, but what happens if you tear your ACL next week? They're going to yeah. they're gonna kick you out of school, and then, then, then what do you have? And it's um, not like we have, you know, any social safety nets to fall back on. Right. It's not like we have universal health care to fix you if but, you do get hurt. Right, and I think, I think you said what in, the, in there is that the, the priority for Angelinos is access to sport too there's kind of that it's like yeah access <laughs> access to sport there's so many other things i think um that in in the groups that we've talked to that are a priority not to saying that it is um that poor kids shouldn't be able to have uh, tennis courts and soccer t- yeah. soccer fields we all deserve that yeah right yeah. but poor kids also don't deserve to be poor mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah right. you know what i mean and yeah and the way that they used youth sports as we saw right there was a way of deflecting c- criticism and redirecting any actual concerns towards just the benefits of youth sports. And the problem with that is that youth sports as such are unobjectionable. We're not saying that youth sports are this unimportant thing. We're saying that this isn't the method by which we should bring them to Los Angeles and that they 
that doesn't excuse the very real concerns that we and these communities have. And, um, and it's just kind of this elementary connection that Garcetti can make of Olympics are sports, and then sports come to L.A. for everybody. It's this kind of basic cartoon idea, and it makes it easy to mischaracterize the opposition as kind of people who don't support a- athletes at all or are against youth sports, and we think that's a really uh, bad faith way to read us, and we think that they also clearly have no good answers to these criticisms if their answer is always youth sports. Right, yeah, youth sports is just the kind of, it's it's the catch-all, it's the, re- it's the, the MacGuffin kind of of like, you know, why we're here, um, but it doesn't, if, if the cost, it, what it also does is, is it lets them in a backhanded kind of way address poverty without addressing our concerns, which they've never done in good faith. They've never addressed the fact that this will spur more gentrification, more displacement, more, more people being um, incarcerated and all these other, so they're saying that all these other factors are worth it. All the people that'll be out on the street, potentially die, potentially die in prison. Um, these are, you know, it's, it'll be life and death for a certain amount of people, and it'll make other people's lives materially worse. But it's okay if kids get, you know, it's it's, it's like we're gonna kill your dog, but here's like an ice cream cone. It's just <laughs> so gross because it's like obviously we want kids to play sports. We all of us played sports as kids. That's not the issue, and it's like it's yeah, it's hard to argue against youth sports. It's like that's not what we're doing. What we're actually saying is that like all of the things, and I say this all the time. We can have housing. We can have youth sports. We can have all of these things that we want if we weren't funding LAPD. If we weren't throwing money into Garcetti security detail everywhere he goes. Like we have the money. We do not need the Olympics to do it. We don't need the LA eighty four foundation. Like, we can give access to sports, equitable access to education, all of these things that we want to give children who are underserved. We could do that if we wanted to, but we don't. And that's what's, like, underlying all of this. Right, because it's not sexy. It's like kind of like a lot of other uh, Eric Garcetti's gimmick project, like the Dodgers thing, the gondola or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not a sexy headline for Eric Garcetti because maybe it's not even a headline to say that, hey, we're providing... No, people would cover that. Like, we're providing... You know, like one in five kids or whatever in the LAUSD is like food insecure. Like, it's it's great if you have like a soccer pitch to go play on, but what does it matter if you're living out of your car and you and your family can't eat? (laughs) Like, how are you gonna how are you gonna thrive at sports? And um, I I think we can thoroughly dismantle all of this. But one thing that I want to do before we get to that is just note that this wasn't just um, something leading up to the bid. Now that the bid's been awarded, it's not as though they're actually addressing these concerns and kind of moving past this clear deflection. Uh, so, Rachel, if you'd like to talk about your Twitter exchange with uh, with Eric Garcetti af- long after the bid was awarded, I think we can kind of see another example of I this. I absolutely would. So, back in April, he went on KNX 1070, which is a radio station here in L.A., and they were doing, like, an Ask the Mayor kind of deal. I thought it was a call-in situation, so I did call in. They let me know that it was on Twitter. So, hopped online and, you know, asked Sorry, what's him- Twitter? No, <laughs> but, uh, the bane of my existence yeah. for a decade. Um, so I tweeted um, at KNX and I said, wanted to know why we didn't get a chance to vote on the Olympics and why he, the mayor, is never in L.A. and uh, when we have so many problems to solve. So basically just like hitting him on the fact that like he's never here and we didn't vote because those are my two biggest issues with him. Um, and so he responded to me um Poorly, by the way, he didn't reply in the proper manner, so the tweets are kind of everywhere. So he responded from his personal account, not the mayor account. 
And he signed it. Uh, yeah, he signed and he, it. And he doesn't know how to tweet, which would, which means it's actually him. <laughs> so he said to me, hey, Rachel, I go to D.C. and Sacramento because I want L.A. to get its fair share of dollars. I work weekends and nights and love this city deeply and focus first, most, and always on the problems of this city. And the Olympics will help produce good things. This summer, will dub- we will double the number of children who learn to swim on the dime of the Olympics. It is the second leading cause of accidental death for kids under 14 and disproportionately affects kids of color. Respect to you. Hope we can humanize our politics both directions. Bring the Olympics to Ooh. L.A. or else you support youth of color drowning. And yeah. so it's just kind of like... I really, I grew up, you know, low income, food insecure, all of those things in LA. I am a product of the communities that he is talking about in this tweet. I guarantee you 100%, the last thing on my mind was worrying about learning how to swim. That was not at all what I was worried about. And so the the belief and just the audacity that you have to talk about humanizing politics when you are never here, you have no idea who these communities are. You don't know who lives in them. The fact that you think that swimming is what these kids care about, as you said, Johnny, they have no food to thrive in sports. How are you supposed to be an amazing Olympic athlete when you're living on the street, living out of your parents' car? You know, like it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's just so disconnected. It's this like liberal bubble that he's grown up in. This like extreme privilege that Garcetti's been in. I know he's met poor people for photo ops and like while he's campaigning, but like I don't he's think he's one or two. Yeah, I don't think he's ever actually really had someone poor that's close to him in his family or in his in his kind of in his real orbit. And one real ticky tack thing I want to bring up is that we did actually look up how many kids died from even though this is totally playing into the opposition's messaging blah 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 you're not we're not supposed to do this who cares it's it's we we found out that basically it's about 707 children under the age of 14 who die from drowning every year in the entire country 717 Yes, seven. No, seven zero seven. Seven hundred and seven in the entire country who die every year. Meanwhile, the L.A. County coroner reported eight hundred and five deaths of unhoused people in L.A. County alone last year. So, like, where is the real Mm -hmm. problem? And and the thing is, uh, and we've kind of touched on this, but we could absolutely do all of these things and provide access to youth sports without inviting a disaster that will harm the same communities that he says he's helping by providing these things. We could do that, and we could do it not through a private foundation. We could do it publicly through something that's actually accountable to the communities and takes their input. This idea that we need the Olympics because that's the singular way to get access to youth sports across Los Angeles is just wrong. It's right. transparently false. You know what it reminds me of is that um, I went to college here at USC, when, um, and there was um, a Greek scene there. And I think I think this is pretty common across. <laughs> is there? Is there, is there, Greek is there a Greek scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of like euros. The study the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You read the Odyssey a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, so at the Greek scene, what they do is um, to as a way to kind of um, and not all. Hashtag not all frat boys and and, and sisters out there, but um, what they do to kind of I think is is, is for PR um, and maybe also just to like to, so they can sleep at night. It's like to to as a way to excuse kind of all the the rampant partying and the sexual abuse and all the all the all the shitty like macho bullshit that's around it. Um, 
is that they have like philanthropy events. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be like, you know, and who knows if any of that money ever goes to charity. But it's like it's PR That's to good, it's yeah. PR to make your make your shenanigans and all the all the bullshit that you're doing on the side um, more palatable. It's just like sugarcoating that pill, and it's right. um, we see we see it all over culture. And it's you know so you know going back to like talking about the classics. You know, it's like you starve people and then give them a loaf of bread or give give them one nice little thing, and then we assume that. That's enough. That's enough. We meanwhile, we're killing people. We're like actively killing people all over LA. Uh, yeah, and I think it's important to point out that he says universal access, but we have to ask, ask the question: Who is this actually accessible for? If LA eighty four is, uh, you know, is still this this private entity. Uh, Clearly, they're kind of incentivized to put their branding in these in these pretty places that a lot of you know people and visitors and tourists will go to. And as early as 1990, uh, when it was still known as the Amateur Athletic Foundation, the LA Times ran a piece critical of the foundation. But some of the money uh, had gone to Orange County. Half of the money that had gone to Orange County had gone to two extremely affluent communities, Laguna Niguel and Newport Beach, uh, to get a diving platform and boats for a private rowing program. Laguna Niguel, sorry, is like one of the richest places in the in the country. And all of those, all of this despite the fact that the foundation's own guidelines stressed that special emphasis would be given to groups or communities that are most in need. These will often be communities of lower income. Uh, the thing is, we can identify and make people aware of these hypocrisies, but beyond that, there's nothing we can do because they set their own guidelines, they can define their own terms of success and metrics, and they're unelected. So all we can do is call these things out, but there's no way to hold them accountable uh, ev- to, to making sure that they do emphasize these groups that they say they're going to. There's no mechanisms for doing that whatsoever. You know who they you know, they remind me of another group that has no accountability. It's like it's kind of like our own little localized version of like the IOC. Yeah. It's like we have our own little IOC where they have like this dark money. It's moving between private and public institutions. We don't know. We can't FOIA them directly. Um, we can't elect them. We can't pressure them into putting the money into a diving board in Compton instead of Orange County, which is liter- literally another. It's a different county. <laughs> um, and, and, and like I said, one of the richest places on the planet. Um, and they have like the, you know, a really strong tax base. And so it's like, who gets to decide? There's also other anecdotes we found about, you know, kind of like a liver transplant list where, um, you know, like wealthier neighborhoods, like Brentwood Westwood, kind of West Side neighborhoods would sometimes be bumped to priority because um, an athlete who like a, a you know famous athlete who lives there has sway with the LA84 foundation because you know maybe they give him maybe give, they give this athlete $50,000 to speak at their summit maybe there's you know who knows we don't know and like but that's capitalism right, right? It's like we're right. talking like you know and I think that like we need to like address that a little bit too yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. The, the red elephant in the room <laughs> yeah. we need to talk about capitalism right. like this entire idea like this like individualistic mentality of like one person has made it and that's great and this bootstraps mentality like that is all capitalism this all of the abuse that we're talking about is capitalism it's profit motive and you know, what you just talked about, people have money to have sway in these foundations or hospitals, whatever it is, that is capitalism and that is bad. And that's what's, you know, destroying our communities. Right. 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 And like to like into the, and if you do make it through this system and like and you are a one in a billion person like a LeBron or a or a Serena Williams, then all of a sudden it's like it's on you to fix these communities with the money that you earn with capitalism, even though that's like 
not fair. Yeah, and and just to kind of uh, go off that a little more, I, I think it's really important for us to be skeptical of private philanthropy. It's kind of one mm-hmm. of these cherished things that you're not really supposed to, to challenge or go against. However, it, it does... It's always in the certain ideology, and if you if you want to challenge the foundations of capitalism and the way society is structured, you can't do that through private yeah. philanthropy. I, it is always it's always um, going to be fundamentally anti-democratic, and it's going to say that some people might be able to have a life of dignity, but only if you make it. Their meaningful change, we believe, should benefit an entire community or an entire class, not just incentivize another individual or two to win capitalism's life lottery. Angela Davis says that we have to be aware of the insidious promotion of capitalist individualism, and this completely does that. That's why we organize collectively to counter this. And again, the community in all kinds of philanthropy, the Gates Foundation is another good example. Yeah, People, um, yeah so the citation is needed to that really excellent right, series yeah. recently about the, the myth of the benevolent billionaire. So right. Run, yeah. It's just so paternalistic and patronizing, the fact that uh, your qualification for telling another community what's good for them are the fact that you have power and wealth already, that their input doesn't matter, that you know what's best for them, and that you can take this wealth that you've accumulated and be praised for dictating the very conditions that they're going to live in without ever fundamentally changing them in any long-term or sustainable way. And like those folks accumulated wealth off the backs of other people, actively denying people their, their product and their money to keep it for themselves. Like, right, that needs right. to be talked yeah, about, yeah, too. Yeah, Casey Wasserman, he gives to a lot of different um, NGOs and nonprofits around the city, whether it's uh, museums, uh, whether it's the LAPD Foundation, whether it's, you know, whoever it is, and that, that buys you that buys you influence. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, you know, and we're not saying that, like, I, I'm not saying that I personally know what's best for a certain neighborhood in South right. L.A. Like, we work with groups that are on the ground there. Um, and at the very least, maybe, you know, if the, if every, if we all collectively got together and voted and said, what is the one thing we should be spending money on or what is the hierarchy of things we should spend money on? If every, you know, if the majority of people said it's youth sports, I doubt that would happen. But then we would go with that. And yeah, then we, we could actually we all be, decided. Yeah, because that's what we did, even if it's not my personal pet favorite thing. And that's it's not about whose personal pet favorite thing it is. And that's hierarchically that's what it gets you I got into a friend uh, fight with one of my oldest friends in LA um, and um, you know he's also he also comes from money um, and um, but we got we got I, I said the just the concept of charities is fundamentally bad that doesn't mean each every individual one or someone acting that system is bad or in bad faith but he was like well what about St. Jude's and I was just <laughs> like and I was like I don't know anything about them but I did a quick Google search and actually looked because that's one of the ones you see that has like a big brand right yeah like it's, dominoes yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. yeah exactly um, <laughs> and, so, and so St. Jude I think um, 15% I forgot what the rate is called of where that actually goes to the work everything else goes to marketing we don't know like he picked a bat I mean they're all if you go digging you find out that like these are money laundering services at the end of the day whether they're intended to be there or not um, whether certain people within these things that found them have good intentions or not um, right. they're not they're not built to societally to 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 look at social problems and change them because then you're out of the job, A. Eh? And a lot of these people get paid extremely well because it's yeah. more attractive to them than working in government where you theoretically are accountable. And yeah, that, I think that's really important that good intentions really don't matter because this can only go so far. And that's why, you know, as the No Olympics Co- Coalition or as DSA 
our organization, why we're trying to build collective working class power and kind of build class consciousness and just make people aware of these things and combative to actually um, to actually make change that's meaningful and change things materially for for um, for for a collective class for for and for everyone, not just right. the one the guy who can jump the highest or right. the the one who is the the best you know genes out of a group of hundreds of thousands of people that are being marginalized. And like charity will never do that because right. charity is like this tacit understanding that these conditions that we're living in are you know set in stone. That's it. So like we can just kind of help people. And it's that's the most that we can do. But it's like, no, we created these conditions and we can like get ourselves out of them if we, as Matt said, like if we organize together. But charity is never going to achieve that. Look at Skid Row. How many charities are there? They've been there for decades. That, that's why I got involved in organizing, because for years I would go down. I've been in L.A. for a while. And obviously as homelessness got worse, like that was the one issue that really got me out. But I would go to like the Midnight Mission or the Soup Kitchen or whatever. And I would just feel so un they like they do this one this is one of the only times in my life where I'm like, oh I don't feel exploited enough. My talents aren't going enough. They don't want to solve the problem. They just want someone to be able to make it through the afternoon maybe and it's and what charity is really about and in, in my per, this is my personal opinion is about making the giver feel good about themselves more than anything it's a it's a service economy yeah 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 it's a, it's it's a service economy and i've given to charity in the past too you know full disclosure at different points and like it but it's more about i think making yourself feel like you're doing something versus actually doing something that requires any sort of political risk or any sort of like uncom time uncomfortability all the kind of the things that you know take a toll on you as an organizer right, but like yeah. that's the job that's what you need to do and it, and it just it, it keeps it keeps everybody atomized and individual and competing with one another ra rather than right. coming together for change uh, Rachel you're you're tuned into some uh, some some uh, things that are very hot topics currently that kind of pertain to this um, would you like to yeah. share some of that and um, make the connections? yeah I'm tuned in as much as anyone else um no I yeah, I'm from L.A. I don't like LeBron as a basketball player, but I like LeBron as a person. <laughs> I think he's really great. Um, and so, yeah, you know, he started or is, like, helping to fund this public school in Ohio. Uh, he's from Cleveland. And, you know, this school is for the community. Um, and it, you know, comes out of his own experiences growing up in Ohio. And every student at the school, you know, gets uniform paid for. I think they're like, they have meals on campus. Each of them was given a bike as well, because, you know, when he was a kid growing up, he talks about how like the bike gave him freedom. And he wants to give all of these students that as well, which I think is really great. And, you know, once they complete all 12 years at the school, it's like once they graduate from the school, he gives them a full ride to the Ohio. It's like, what is it called? The Ohio State? It's yeah, like, there's yeah. a definite article yeah. for some stupid reason. So, so then they get, you know, this like full ride uh, to college, which is incredible. Again, like that's that's amazing. But the fact that we're relying on a person of color who was allowed, right, to get out of his situations through youth sports and being incredibly talented. Um, and as you had referenced earlier, Johnny, like, we basically put all of these societal problems that we have created for people onto the backs of, like, a dozen folks to try to, like, you know, okay, yeah, you're a black man in America. Uh, you have grown up in systemic poverty, in situations created by this country to keep you down. You've made it out somehow, and your reward is having to help everybody else. And it just, for me, it reminds me of that Garcetti quote, right? It's like, we give people two avenues. We give people of color, excuse me, not people in general, people of color, um, two avenues to succeed. Sports, music, LeBron is a great uh, 
example of that. I don't think he's a bad person. I think charities, um, I think what he's doing and like his charitable avenues um, are good. He is he well, is helping, he, but he's not. Yeah, but, but, but at least but I think the big thing with him too is that it's the difference between him founding a charter school too. Yes, he decided exactly. not a, to. Yeah, he decided not to do that. And that's that. why I think it's a good, if he's going to yeah. give, he's he's creating something that is publicly accountable. Exactly. Which most people don't do in that situation. So that's yeah. why I, I think it is commendable. And I think I yeah. like him as a player, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can, we can yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, sorry. No, and I'm just saying, and that's, you know, these things are great, but still kind of the the foundational question here that you can't really ask is why do we live in this world in which we have to hope that some of the people who become rich and powerful are good people who do things for us? Why do we have right. to hope that they're benevolent and that they're going to try there, to raise others There's up? that lotteryism yeah. thing, too. Right. It's like we, we got to be hope to lucky that uh, I, gotta, I have to hope that I'm lucky enough to have someone famous in my community that comes from my community that gets out mm-hmm. and wants to give back to it versus um, addressing these things um, through through local government and organizing. It like reminds me as well of, uh, and I love Drake, so I'm really sorry to have to get into this, but his video, <laughs> his video for God's Plan, where he's giving people money to help them in, you know, an array of situations, uh, healthcare, education, you know, paying rent, whatever it was, there was like all yeah. of these different situations. He's giving money to go to college or something too. Yeah, yeah, it was all of these things. And it's like so frustrating to me that we have to rely on the benevolence of rich people who were only allowed to be rich for like various circumstances. Um, And it just, I don't like talking shit about, you know, people of color. Like that's, you know, I'm a person of color. I don't like talking shit about rich people of color, but, and I, and I hope that I'm not, but I just, it still bothers me. Like they're still rich. You're still not upending the system. You're still not being revolutionary. You're putting a bandaid on a gaping wound. And it's like, fine, you can mitigate the problems of capitalism with that. And you made a great music video and LeBron has a great school and that's fantastic. But we shouldn't have to live in a country like that. We shouldn't have to create these circumstances where like we have to rely on rich people to help us. You know what it reminds me too is the, um, is uh, just kind of, I think, CEO of one of these crowdfunding sites came out and said, you know, like one third of our of our giving or whatever is um, towards health related issues. And it's like you got to hope you're lucky enough that your friends in your life mm-hmm. have a little bit of extra cash enough. If you, you know, I know, I know people who have like died from terminal illnesses. Uh, who knows if they would have had the money that they needed if they could have fought it? Who know, you know, may have been too bad. But it's like, why do we live in a culture where we have to like pray that? Um, the people who have extra will give us some so that we don't die or that we... Yeah. 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 And, and it's so pathetic. And as long as we're living in these conditions, of course we want things that mitigate the suffering and, you know, things that let people live more dignified and more fully realized lives. But we, we also think that it's perfectly possible to work towards a system that doesn't grind people into dust and hope mm-hmm. that they can fight a way out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. I, know, I know that, like, this, as far as, and maybe one of the other episodes that we have is, like, probably one of the most difficult pills for people to swallow and rethink. Like, they might, e- they might even have, you know, no that capitalism is bad and turns us against each other and like is killing the planet and is killing us and blah 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 but like but charity has this in and the in youth sports and all these other right. things are like ensconced in this kind of like liberal kind of like fairy dust that like um yeah yeah regardless of the intentions are good because you can't prove these things anyway it's just the results are really 
It's not even the result. It's the process is flawed. So the results are always going to be flawed. It's that it never reaches the, the fundamental foundational questions. But just to return at the end here to the foundation itself, um, Johnny, would you like to talk a little bit about this summit uh, that's that's coming up? Yeah, it's like um, last year we were aware of it. Um, the, the LA 84 Foundation throws a summit, hosts a summit every year. Um, um, it's their big conference of sorts uh, where they get to trot out some you know, Olympic-related people, some other kind of uh, uh, sports-related figures, this and that. And um, and this year's, and they have a different theme every year. And this year's theme is, you know, I think um, athlete, athletes, athletic activism and social justice, or vice versa, one of those. But you know, all the things that we're actually like interested in, they've kind of co-opted that, which is really, really fucking cute. But um, um. So the whole idea is they're inviting different people, you know, it's like panels and kind of like what is sport, what is activism, and I imagine kind of things like this. Um, and they're t- and meanwhile, the whole last, the narrative of the last year has been we want to give people access to youth sports. However, the problem is is that this summit, like tickets start at like two hundred and ninety five dollars, and I think they go up afterwards that, and it's on a Thursday. It's on a Thursday, you know, like who has the ability to take work off on a Thursday? that is a uh, working class person or skip school or who is this really for? If they really wanted to make it accessible, it would be free. It would be on the weekend or on an evening. Um, It's not because it's not about that. It's for people in this philanthropic uh, community and like media elites. Mm -hmm. That's who it's for. It's It's a way for them to pretend like they're giving lip service to the things that we're talking about. We're not invited there, of of course. And you know, I got the email the other day about the new. There are three new speakers that they announced. One of them is Metal World Peace, who, oh, yeah. who, I, who I think is hilarious. <laughs> but he also used to like drink during halftime. It's like a weird person to trot out as like someone who's like who's like an activist or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You're like yeah, great role model. Uh, the other person is uh, someone who works, um, who comes from I think the football world. And um, he's probably not going to present how on how you know youth sports like football and soccer have have a high rate of CTE yeah. and turning your brain into mush. Um, and the third person is someone, uh, a woman who is representing uh, youth gymnastics. And I guarantee you, they won't get into uh, the cover up about the rampant sexual abuse all over the country with youth gymnastics. So it's a weird panel. Um, there'll be more panels. Uh, and we, I was scrolling down the email the other day, and I saw it was really funny that the, of um, one of the sponsors was the LA Times. So um, we talked to them. They said this is a normal relationship. Uh, it's a sponsorship relationship. But the weird thing is, is like, why would they be sponsoring? I can I can almost understand the LA eighty four Foundation sponsoring something that the LA Times does to perhaps curry favor with them. But it's like it still strikes me as strange, and especially knowing LA Times has a very checkered past when it comes to. Um, um, uh, non-disclosed advertorial type relationships. Like the one that obviously comes to mind is the Staples Center scandal from 1999. There have been other things over the years. So we're going to dig into that more and kind of try to get to the bottom of these things. And we'll be doing more research on the 84 Foundation because we want to know where those millions of dollars have been going because it certainly isn't to the places uh, that they should be probably. Yeah. And and I think the LA Times and the the time and lack of accessibility to this event kind of goes along with them always trying to ensure that their narrative goes uncontested, that there aren't ways for people to come in and contest the narrative. And if you're actually trying to do something meaningful, then you have to be receptive to criticism, and they just are not. Um, So... 
So thank you so much for joining us. We hope this was uh, informative and entertaining. Um, we will. Uh, this conversation is ongoing, so we'll always be updating it. You can always contact us online uh, with any any research you might have or any questions that can help us along. Um, check the show notes for links that'll kind of uh, elaborate on some of the things we touched on. There's so much here, and it's it's impossible to even do much more than scratch the surface in this amount of time. So. Uh, this is ongoing, and we, we don't plan to stop or hold up. To learn more and get involved, please visit nolympicsla.com and knock.la.